providing real solutions for real industry challenges. Welcome to FNF Unplugged, the talk of the title industry. Morton and Steve Gottheim, thank you so much for joining us at FNF Unplugged today. I know that you are very busy at the American Land Title Association, but I really appreciate your time and talent to be on the podcast today. Thanks, Linda. It's great to be with you. Now, the CFPB has been around for a long time, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. I worked through the No Before You O rule several years ago, but with new administration, there always comes changes, right? So let's kind of go back to the basics. Uh, what does the CFPB do for the consumer? Yeah, Linda, just to provide a little bit of foundation for those listening today. So the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau started out of the financial crisis back in 08. The Dodd-Frank Act, which many of your listeners may be familiar with, was the legislation and then law that instituted the new bureau, taking the authority from a number of previous bank regulators and others in the federal financial consumer product space and putting it into one agency. And what they do essentially is to provide both consumer education as well as supervision and enforcement over all federal consumer financial laws. What that means, particularly as you think about the title industry, is while we are a state-regulated industry uh, from a product perspective, there are implications for us when you think about third-party settlement agent roles under the things like the Real Estate Settlement Procedures Act, which is a federal law. So the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has authority over enforcing those laws, and that's how our industry gets pulled into oversight and enforcement around some of the things that we do as a business. I think that's kind of an important point that Chris just kind of brought up there, which is, you know, for most title agents out there, there, there is a, a sense of fear about the CFPB because it is this very large, powerful new agency. They came out really f- out of the gates doing enforcement actions, especially along against the mortgage industry, because that was what helped lead us to the 2008 crisis. And, you know, when you think about the powers of the CFPB, you're really thinking about two big buckets, right? There's that bucket of These are all of the existing consumer laws that they enforce. For our industry, RESPA is the primary one, but truth in lending, the TILA rule is is another one. Uh, For our friends in the mortgage space, there's a lot of other areas there. And so, you know, most of their enforcement has to be directly connected to those regulations and and the powers there. So they don't really get the ability just to say, I don't like this business practice. I'm going to enforce it away out of you. They have to have some connection to an actual law that they enforce. The other thing, though, is they also have this broader power around unfair, deceptive, and abusive acts and practices. This is the four-letter acronym UDAP that you might hear from other conversations around the CFPB. That is a much less well-defined area, but typically it is a whole bunch of powers around the idea that you need to treat the customer fairly, or at least you need to treat the customer you actually have to treat them the way you say you're going to treat them, right? So if you are going to tell them that you're going to keep their information safe and secure and you don't, that can be considered an abusive or deceptive act of practice. So there, there are those two different buckets. But the crucial thing for, I think, title professionals to remember is, you know, there, there does have to be at least some hook to one of these federal laws, which is why the Bureau doesn't have just the standard type of authority like a state insurance department has over a title agent or a title insurer. 
So what has the CFPB done in the past that's going to be different or what can we expect in the future? Yeah, the first way to think about this is, you know, what's that old line from uh, from the Who song, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, right? The new incoming boss at the CFPB, uh, a man named Rohit Chopra, he comes from the origination of the CFPB. He was around and working with Elizabeth Warren when the CFPB was stood up after Dodd-Frank was passed, when Elizabeth Warren was just working for President Obama as opposed to being a senator from Massachusetts. He worked as the first student loan ombudsman at the Bureau. So he had been deeply involved from the creation of the Bureau. After the Obama administration went out, he went out of office. He moved over and, and was nominated as a commissioner of the Federal Trade Commission. And so we do have a decent idea of kind of how he might look in view of the world because he's had a lot of public statements over the years, both when he was at the CFPB and then when he was at the FTC. So if we look at the past and the future, right? In the past, we saw a lot of focus, especially in the early years of the CFPB, on mortgages. Part of Dodd-Frank said, not only CFPB do you have the authority to regulate all these mortgage companies, but you also have to do all these regulations to help refix the mortgage industry in the mindset of lawmakers, right? And so we saw, you know, you mentioned it earlier, TRID, the TILA RESPA integrated disclosures, redoing the disclosures. You saw the ability to repay rule. You saw a qualified residential mortgage rule. You saw appraisal rule. You saw a whole host of rules that were designed to put better bands and parameters on the mortgage industry to make sure that people were both more successful when they got a mortgage and also more informed, hopefully, when they were receiving that mortgage as well. And that that is a major focus. And I expect you will see that the Bureau will continue to really focus on a lot of those types of things. As we think about what's coming forward from the Bureau, while we have to be engaged, as we always have been as an industry, in dialogue with them, I think in the near term, the thing to recognize is that the plate is full as relates to what the Biden administration has to tackle right now. And number one, two, and three is COVID. There's going to be a lot of work done at the Bureau as it relates to enforcement of things like the CARES Act, which was the COVID package that was previously signed into law. There are a number of things in there as it relates to consumer protection, mortgage forbearance, other kinds of things that touch the CFPB. I think to Steve's point, too, as we look at Chopra's background and what he said to date, student loan forgiveness, fair lending, some of these other items come sort of second, third, fourth on the list. It's going to be a while, if uh, at all, in the sort of the next year or two for them to really get into issues, I think, that directly affect the title industry like TRID or those kinds of things. Steve, would you agree with that? I think that's a really critical point and a great point. First off, most of the mortgage stuff that came out of Dodd-Frank has been done. And so we're in a position where there's not a new regulation that's sitting in the wings waiting to get finalized, like you have for things like payday lending and auto title lending, which are going to be high up on the list of the Bureau over the next few years. At the same time, they've got a fairly full agenda when it comes to supervision and enforcement, as Chris kind of laid out, both looking at mortgage forbearances and kind of the treatment of consumers around getting a consumer from a forbearance to a modification. There are about 3 million homeowners that are in that status of having had a forbearance the last year that need to be moved to a modification and hopefully not moved to foreclosure. And so making sure that that process works correctly is going to be very critical. And then there's all of these other areas around fair lending, around fair housing that are going to get a lot of attention at the Bureau in the next year. So there's not going to be this easily directly shined light on our industry as there was back in 2012 and 13. That being said, 
is in this time of the regulatory cycle where the industry is doing pretty well, right? We had probably one of our best uh, premium volume years of all time in 2020, where there is not a big regulatory pressure. There's no new rule coming down the pipe that we start to see the seeds of what might be that next regulatory issue pop up, right? Oftentimes when industries are in this cycle of where they are in the regulatory cycle, you tend to see most of very high levels of uh, competition coming out. And a lot of times that competition can especially come out in between business models and in between different ways of doing business. And that sometimes bleeds over to regulators. So I would expect we may not see anything in the first two years that is directly on point to our members from the Bureau, but this is the time where they're starting to gather that information, hearing what's happening in the marketplace, where they're going to form an opinion about what needs to happen next in the mortgage industry in general, but titled specifically. I think it's also important to recognize that the Bureau doesn't operate in isolation. So now we have both a Democratic administration and a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House. And Chairman Sherrod Brown, who's Democratic Senator from Ohio, Chairman of the Senate Banking Committee, has made very clear that he's putting the word housing back into the title of the banking committee. You know, and he says that very emphatically, there's going to be a lot of oversight. There's going to be a lot of discussion up on Capitol Hill about what's happening, particularly in things like the mortgage market, where there has been a lot of success in terms of volume, but there's a lot of people that are locked out of that process for affordability reasons and other things. In that process, folks are going to start digging in to both solutions and problems. And it's in that process, I think, that creative staff or members think about, well, let's look at this industry or that industry, what's happening over there. And that can trigger a lot of discussion and dialogue and potential action as well. So we've got to remember that it's not just folks within the CFPB looking at these issues. It's also policymakers on Capitol Hill. And as Chris kind of alludes to there, right, looking at what kind of the political dynamic of this is going to be very critical to start to see where, especially the priorities come from, from a supervision and enforcement area. Certainly no regulator wants to get dragged in front of Congress to do a hearing where they're told, why didn't you penalize this bank more? Or why didn't you penalize this bad actor more in their mindset? And so you have to look at the kind of language that's been coming out of the House Financial Services Committee and the, and the Senate Banking Committee. And you'll really start to see some aware, again, those priorities are really going to be focusing on. And, and again, fair housing and fair lending is going to get a humongous focus. But the other thing to think about is the other narrative that you've heard a lot out of those political actors over the last few years is there's not enough coming out of the supervision space where consumers are getting redress, right? There's a lot of, hey, we're going to tell you this is wrong. The company, go fix it and don't do it again. Orders that came out of the CFPB during the uh, Trump administration. But one of the critiques is that they never really got a lot of money back for consumers and, and helped make them in the minds of lawmakers financially whole. And so I think what you will see is, you know, as supervision starts to take shape around things like the CARES Act and forbearances and fair lending, there's going to be a, a larger pressure on regulators to get a pound of flesh in the form of money from those companies. And as we know, oftentimes when regulatory actions and enforcement actions happen, especially if they target, say, a mortgage servicer or a mortgage originator, that tends to have downstream effects as we are service providers to those partners. And so we should you know, be very mindful of, while they may not be looking directly at a practice related to title, they may do something around the edge that has a correlation to it. And we'll see our partners 
start to alter their risk appetite. Just like we saw, you know, in 2012 and 13, when our partners looked and said, we need to figure out third party vetting because the CFPB is really looking at it. How do we do this with title? And the industry came up with the best practices. And I think the thing to also recognize in the context of Steve's comments is it all goes back to also our we think of our members at Alta and folks in the title business, making sure that they are and we are on their behalf telling our story about the value of our industry, what we do and why we do it. And particularly as you look at things like COVID, what we've been able to do during COVID to serve consumers, to pivot, to do things with innovation around remote online notary and other kinds of solutions, those stories are really important. And we've got a lot of new members of Congress as well in the oversight committees. We've got to continue to work with them to make sure they understand so that when a story comes out or a circumstance gets presented, they at least have a sense of who we are, what we do, and also the facts behind it. Uh, Because as we know, a lot of times you get a story in the news and it doesn't really tell all those facts sort of behind the scenes. So that's going to be an important aspect always of the work we do with regulators and policymakers. Linda, earlier you mentioned the work that you did and we all did as an industry on trade and kind of getting ready for the no before you all roll back in 2015. And I think, you know, we get a lot of questions at ALTA, you know, when is the CFPB going to fix trade, fix the title disclosures that we've heard about for so many years? And when are they going to just redo the whole forms and we have to go through this all over again? And I think first and foremost, uh, let me say to everybody, don't expect there to be a wholesale redo of the forms anytime in the next few years. The Bureau is not just in the mindset of redoing these regs just to bring cost out on the industry. As we saw last fall, the Bureau put out a assessment of how they think the TRID rule is working in the marketplace. They were required to do it under, under Dodd-Frank. Surprise, surprise, the review that they gave themselves is TRID is doing pretty well. Consumers are understanding their mortgages a little bit better. They're more easily identify some of the key terms of those mortgages. The industry is at, le- at the very least taking roughly the same time now as it took to do a closing before TRID. It's kind of where they've started to come out with their data. And so... From our standpoint, there's not a lot of pressure building up on the Bureau for them to do anything wholesale around trade. Now, will you start to continue to see these little nibbles around the edges? Probably, but nothing really major. And as we saw in that assessment report, probably nothing on the title insurance disclosure right now, because in their mind, it's working. They're seeing consumers ask those questions about, you know, what is the actual cost of of adding on an owner's policy? Oh, it's not that much money. Maybe I should buy it. It's amazing how self-assessments work for the person that's doing the assessing, right? You wonder about the self-assessment where you give yourself a failing grade. Like that's a, there's got to be some other, uh, other thing going on there. So let's talk about another regulatory body, FHFA, the Federal Housing Finance Agency. Why should we be staying informed about what they're doing? So uh, similar to the CFPB, the FHFA also came out of the the financial crisis in merging the regulation of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac with the federal home loan banks. Essentially, what FHFA is charged with is, again, supervision and regulation of what are called the government-sponsored enterprises, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and the home loan banks. 
And also in the aftermath of the financial crisis, they became the conservator of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Now, for those of you listening, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, many of you probably know this, but purchased mortgages in the secondary market to provide liquidity for lenders to make more loans. And then they package those mortgages into securities and sell them on the market. So they are an incredibly important source of mortgage finance liquidity for our housing finance system. The thing to recognize, again, from the perspective of the title industry is what Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac do is make sure that there are certain requirements on lenders to ensure that there's standardization in the mortgage finance space so that capital flows smoothly. And in making a certain requirements on lenders, like, for instance, that they require the purchase of an Alta lenders policy, those are the kinds of things that then impact our members in the title space. And so while there may not be a direct correlation to the title business and direct oversight per se by FHFA, the requirements they place on lenders do have a direct impact at the end of the day. Yeah, and we can get into the, the economics of why all that standardization is important. But for your standard title agent, real estate agent out there, right, it's that standardization that makes a closing in a, a loan package from you know Peoria, Illinois, look kind of like one from Jacksonville, Florida, right? It's all of those documents. Why does everybody get an alta loan policy, as, as Chris said? Why does every appraisal package look the same? Why do mortgage notes look the same? Why do all of these steps in the process look the same? And therefore, why does it take a lot less time to get a mortgage than it used to take? And that's there is a critical standardization that, that, that both Fannie and Freddie provide. And that is, in many ways, driven by FHFA, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, which has told those two companies, hey, we want you to standardize as much of the process as possible because there's no good reason for the secondary market to be competing on what size paper something gets signed on and what size font everything's in. Directly, I would say to Chris's point, the direct impact on, on our industry, the title business is, you know, if you think about it, just under 30% of total industry premiums is directly related to loan policies sold because of Fannie and Freddie's requirement that every loan sold to them come with an Alta loan policy. That process started in the 1970s. This is not a, it has been around a long time that that requirement's been in place, but it's not always been there. Fannie Mae dates back from the 1930s. So it actually, you know, existed for about 30 years before this requirement came in place. And so it is a big source of kind of why we do business the way we do is because of how Fannie and Freddie have asked us to do business. I would say as we start thinking about what the future of FHFA looks like in the new administration, a couple of things to keep in mind. There has been for a number of years since Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship, a discussion around reforming the government-sponsored enterprises and making changes to the housing finance system. I think that conversation will continue to take place, but because of the sort of divergent views on Democratic and Republican sides in a lot of respects, particularly in a, in a tightly controlled Senate, which is 50-50 split between the parties, it's going to be hard to get there in the near term. One of the things, though, that the new administration is focused on, and it's, I think, indicated by what the FHFA just recently did in announcing its largest investment in affordable housing, a billion dollars from the GSEs to invest in affordable housing, is to use Fannie and Freddie as a lever 
to achieve a number of the goals that the new administration has in the absence of reform to the GSEs. And so we've got to pay particularly close attention of what the trickle-down effect of some of those changes might be. And there may be some positive changes, too. If you think about, again, from the title industry perspective, greater incentives for home ownership that provide more opportunity and affordability for people mean more business from the perspective of our members and the ability to serve markets that they haven't served. And so from that perspective, there's a lot of positive opportunity, I think, ahead. As we come to a close to this podcast, one of you had mentioned early on that these are topics of fear. What is your answer to these topics of fear? I think the simplest answer is Fear breeds in an absence of knowledge. And so the more that we tell our story, the more that fear is going to go away. Yeah, I think uh, well said by Steve. One of the things that I've always found when I've gone up to Capitol Hill and talked to members of Congress that I hadn't met is you'll be amazed, just like clients in the marketplace, how much in common you have when you start to talk to people. And I think it's really important for us to take the first step to open a dialogue. And we oftentimes find opportunity in those dialogues. Knowledge is power, right? Steve and Chris, thank you so much for joining us today at FNF Unplugged. Thanks, Libby. If you have questions, comments, or would like us to feature a specific topic, email fnfeducation at fnf.com. Thanks for downloading FNF Unplugged, a presentation of the FNF family of companies. All rights reserved. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent, including Fidelity National Financial or its directors. Please seek legal or financial advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.